So, Eric, I just brought home a lot of groceries from Trader Joe's because it's pumpkin season. So I got the pumpkin raviolis. I got the pumpkin bread, pumpkin waffles. I got the pumpkin Jojos. I got the pumpkin spice coffee. It is the best time of year for me, not just for the pumpkin stuff, but also there's another thing that's related to pumpkin. Are you telling me that you did a volumetric capture of the great pumpkin? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good guess. No, you know what it is? Is when I get all the pumpkin stuff at Trader Joe's, it's a sign that the seasons are changing. We're going through a different era and that is exactly what's happening with volumetric video. We're going to go into that and more in today's podcast. Let me take a sip from my pumpkin spice latte before we start. Welcome to the Volumetric Roundtable, where we talk about all the latest happenings in the world of Volumetric. My name is Eric Azaris, Head of Product Development at Dengenuity Labs, and I'm here with Denny Breitenfeld, founder of Dengenuity Labs. Hey guys, nice to be here. And it's been a great year in general. And hey, we've made it to September. Season's changing. September, the weather's cooling down. Kids are going back to school. Pumpkin spice latte is apparently inside of everything at the (laughs) supermarket now. But it's not just the season that's changing. Volumetric technology itself is in a transition period. So that's what we're going to talk about today. The next evolution in the volumetric capture space. Yeah, it's really amazing. It's all happening literally when the weather is changing and the technology is changing right at the same time. It's as if everybody planned the change around the change of the season. But first, let's dive into a segment that we like to call the VFA Corner. So, Eric, even in today's VFA corner, there's a lot of exciting changes that are happening just with the volumetric nerf summit by the VFA that we had on August 11th. There's quite a diverse set of topics that all are ushering this new era of volumetric. What were some of the conversations that were happening by over 10 different presentations? The volumetric nerf summit had a wide array of people present, creatives, folks that were showing off some of the new technology that they're working on. You know, one of the things that that was really interesting to see at the Nerf Summit was everything from distribution of volumetric content to integrating lights into a volumetric capture stage and how that's impacting the workflow of production was really remarkable. What KinoFlow demonstrated with the mimic lights, that was amazing. What was that about? You know, that was really neat. These are special digital lights, as the name suggests, can mimic the lights of an actual scene. So imagine that you're sitting next to a fireplace and you've got the flickering of the lights from the fire, the orange and the yellow. In the old way, it would be just to try to try to imitate those lights by changing the color values. Instead, with this new technology, you're actually able to take like an MP4 of a video, for example, of a fireplace and have that actually display uh, digitally onto this special uh, lighting panel system. And you could instantly swap those out. So if you have a night scene where there's moonlight and it's purple and and dark blue, you can instantly change that. And uh, it's really flexible and it really will complement virtual production and volumetric. Wow. That's amazing. Light mimicking what the environment is without a light operator. Amazing tech. The storytellers and the creators really embrace this new era to do a volumetric shoot without infrared and all that. That's what we saw from Fearless Productions. Can you go a little into sort of what the audience was talking about when Snail was presenting? I really love this project because it's very ambitious. It's really combining 
like five different technologies into one. Uh, we've got virtual production, we've got volumetric capture, we've got AI generations all mishmashed together. He, what he wants to do is create this traditional Bollywood music with the aesthetics of cyberpunk. It's, it's Blade Runner meets Bollywood meets anime. So the content itself is a mashup as well as the technology behind it is a mashup. So I'm really excited to see what comes out of that. And all of that would not be possible without the evolution of the technology. But traditionally, if you were to use infrared cameras, you'd be very limited to what you can do, right? With this new evolution of volumetric technology, we have so much more flexibility. And that's just great for the whole pipeline. Everybody in the creative process, everybody from the production crew to the virtual art department to the producers, everybody. Very cool. I, I agree. Being part of it and seeing what he's doing, he's really pushing the boundaries. Another one that really sort of push the limits about what you can do with a game engine and volumetric technology was Arcturus. And what they were, what their panel was about and what their session was about was how can you actually, you know, take virtual production, shoot something real because it's real. um, And then your environment on the wall is real. So maybe it's a, um, it's a park. And then you want real people walking around in the park, but you want the virtual camera to match the physical camera. And Arturis presented an amazing solution around that. I just love seeing the the behind the scenes and seeing just how seamlessly it works. It's really remarkable what they can do. Some people will say the best special effects are the effects you don't even notice and doesn't distract you from the main subject that you're shooting in the virtual mm-hmm. production. It's it's really remarkable. Right. All those uh, sessions are available on demand at the VFA website. Um, it's for anybody who is a member. The, the All you have to be is a community member. There's a lot of information at volumetricformat.org forward slash join. If you're not already a member, this is a great opportunity to see over 10 presentations that cover everything from lighting to virtual production and everything in between. But speaking of our tourists, uh, Eric, mm. there's more VFA Corner news. Oh, there is. Oh, Please, please do tell. Yes, as we mentioned in the last VFA Roundtable podcast, Arcturus is now the front of the Mixed Reality Capture Studios by Microsoft. So if you are thinking about getting into volumetric and you want to build one of the highest quality stages in the world, Arcturus can now help you get set up with a licensed Microsoft stage from scratch. Or if you already have sort of elements of a volumetric stage and you want to port it over to be a mixed reality capture stage by Microsoft, Arcturus is able to handle everything A to Z and everything in between, which is really, really exciting. And then also Arcturus has a new announcement about an old video game coming back to life in a very new way. I know this is in your wheelhouse, Eric. What is this all about? I am just drooling because I just can't wait for this one to come out. This is the seventh guest. This is an old full motion video puzzle point and click adventure game from the 90s. And it's been updated 
to use Arcturus's Vimashek technology. Back in the 90s, they, they actually shot actors playing the parts of the different characters in the story-based game. Flash forward to modern times, now instead of watching a, a video of the actor, you actually get to interact and talk with them in volumetric. And it's really cool. It's going to be uh, released in October, so it's going to be during the spooky season, uh, which is very fitting because Seventh Guest is about a haunted house, so think Haunted Mansion meets Mist meets Volumetric. Oh, wow. And it's inverse reality. What What is that, a quadruple whammy? Mm. Very cool. Well, speaking of announcements, Eric, in this podcast episodes of Volumetric Trivia, I thought I would take us down the uh, the memory lane here for some of those who might know. And if you don't know, play along. It might be fun. I know it's school starting again, but I did not expect to have a pop quiz so soon. <laughs> In November of 2010, Microsoft released the Microsoft Connect for the 360. A lot of people might remember that Connect as is going to be the Wii killer because we had motion controls and this was just your hands. And I had a huge collection of Connect games and I loved it. I had some dance games, yeah. Yeah. Dance games, the river raft games, they were a lot of fun. So it ushered in this new era of trying to push the what, what the game industry could do. And some things worked and other things didn't. But it also unleashed a new creative outlet for those who wanted to take this technology and do other things than make games. And so there are companies that sort of built products and wrote code around combining a connect with one or more so that they can do volumetric capture. And what a lot of people might remember is, okay, then Microsoft released the next Connect, which was for the Xbox One. And then finally they released the Azure. Mm-hmm. But you may not know, and this is today's trivia question, Eric, is what was the company uh, behind the uh, first Connect that was released for the 360? And where... Is that technology used today, even though Microsoft announced that they are, um, it's end of life for Connect? The original Connect technology is still being used today. So, who was it and where is it being used? Okay, that's a head scratcher. Okay, so the original Connect technology was not built in house. It was not built in house, it was licensed. Uh, Microsoft did do the manufacturing or most of the manufacturing, but the tech itself was licensed from another company. Now, would it be a popular name that's recognizable? It would not be a recognizable name today. And Mm -hmm. at the time, it wouldn't have been a recognizable name unless you're in the the part of the world where this company comes from. They had a really amazing reputation. Um, But if you aren't in sort of that tech sector um, or in that part of the, the world where they come from, you probably never heard of them. Okay. Okay. Wow. All right. So I feel like you gave me some clues there. That part of the world. Okay. So I'm thinking not North America. That's correct. Because we are in North America Mm -hmm. right now. Could be Antarctica. No, it would not be Antarctica. Mm -hmm. There's not many uh, technology companies down there. There are a lot of scientists, though. There are a lot of scientists, though. That oh, that Mm -hmm. is true. That is true. Okay. Mm 
Yeah, no, a lot of our technologies come from unlikely places and then applied somewhere else. So, okay, I'm going to uh, put that in the maybe pile. Can I get a hint? So the hint is the technology today isn't used in a Microsoft product. Okay. It's not used in a Microsoft product. Um, is it something, okay. Is this technology used in, in airports now? The use case that I am thinking of and the one that is probably used by millions of people is not uh, used at the airport. So I'm not going to say that it is or isn't. For what I'm thinking, it is uh, not related. I'm thinking it's not used in gaming anymore. It is not used in gaming, but it is used on a very common device. Common device. Okay. Hey. I was gravitating towards some type of smart car or some type of smart appliance. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh. All right. Do I have one right now in my hand? You do not. Well, I don't. Okay. You are in the other camp, if you will. Oh, okay. As an Android user, and you said the word camp, and um, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people that go camping, they have iPhones. That is true. So I'm guessing they're using iPhones. Yes. Ooh. Yes. So the the company is called Prime Sense. They had structured light, which is basically what you do is you shine the area with little IR dots, and then you use two cameras to sort of understand the the distance between the left eye, right eye, and the dots help get the quality up and do some other verification. And that's very simple vacation. So they do structured light and it's used in a lot of other iPhones to do the camera facial recognition to unlock the phone. And it has been adapted in other cases, but that's probably the most common is if you ever use Face ID on your iPhone, it's because PrimeSense and Apple bought PrimeSense, which is an Israel-based company company in 2013. Uh, and then they've incorporated in, in many things, but the iPhone's the most well-known. And so the second connect uh, for the Xbox was Microsoft's in-house technology. And that was time of flight, which is where you measure the light and it bounces back. And so was the Azure Connect. But here's another little trivia for you, Eric, is the CEO of PrimeSense wrote a a formal letter to Steve Jobs prior to 2010 saying, hey, we think this technology would be great at Apple. We would love if you bought us or bought the tech. We want to work with you. And and, um, you can go online and I think it's published. And uh, Steve Jobs said no. And so... He went to Microsoft and then lo and behold, it became the Connect, which birthed um, in many ways, birthed the notion of um, a low cost uh, volumetric capture stage, created the notion of democratizing volumetric capture. You have lots of companies that got started around it and and that even got... um, um, sort of created the wave of let's do more with structured light and the Microsoft stages today, the ones that are licensed and the ones that Arcturus is helping support, they use structured light as well as other other stages and the Intel RealSense cameras um, use structured light. So the PrimeSense um, camera really had a huge impact on the volumetric industry um, and now it's inside every iPhone. Amazing. I Honestly, did not know that. 
What was really amazing is that it started as a 360 game experience, but the the creative community and the tech community really leveraged it so much so that in December 2010, PrimeSense released the Resty case so anybody can start writing other apps for a computer to use the Kinect. And then Microsoft later added their own. In the early days, in the first several years there, I think by 2012, you saw this camera being used in things like manufacturing and surveying and things of that nature. And it just sparked the imagination of what could be done um, with this technology. And Eric, that's what we're sort of seeing in this transition now when it comes to using RGB cameras for volumetric capture. We're seeing more than just media and entertainment. And I know I love the seven guests, but we're seeing companies that would do survey work. Folks said that those companies lean into neural radiance fields to see if they can sort of do a better survey than just take pictures. And even though it's nascent, just as nascent as the 2010s were for the Connect, the potential's there. And that's what two things those eras have in common is it sparks that right audience of both technical, creative, and sort of the various industries and says there's something here. And that's what I like about this new transition in volumetric. Yeah, it certainly sounds like there's a parallel between what happened with the connects and the technical and creative community and with what's happening now with neural radiance fields. And you got to see this firsthand when you're in L.A. with the L.A. art exhibit, right, Eric? Yeah, I saw it firsthand at a Nerf art exhibit. It was the first of its kind. During SIGGRAPH week, there was a collection of digital Nerf art on display at a local art museum. It was great seeing digital art among traditional paintings and sculptures. It was a wonderful gallery of creative uses of Nerf. I saw pieces that combined neural radiance fields with visual effects, video transitions, and even some clever compositing. I actually recognized some of the Nerfs from Twitter and LinkedIn, so who knows? Maybe one of your Nerf artworks will end up hanging up in a gallery somewhere. So during the show, there was actually a Q&A panel from some Nerf creators. There was even someone from Corridor Digital, a popular VFX YouTube channel. So it was great seeing people in the community being a champion for this new technology. It's amazing what happens when you put new tools in the hands of creatives. It really does mirror the excitement that was around the the launch of the Connect. Now that the creatives, the technologists, and the storytellers are open to a very nascent an early stage technology, but the potential is there. It basically creates that sense of, okay, well, what's next? Because I want something next. And we're already seeing sort of the next, potentially the next iteration of better quality or a better improvement over the current state of neural field radiance. And that's with Nerf Gaussian Splat. Did I pronounce that right, Eric? Yes. I've seen that word Gaussian or Gaussian in different editing tools like the Gaussian blur or there's some type of Gaussian filter. I still don't know how to pronounce it. There's a certain way to say it in German. And I know there's a certain pronunciation when it's like anglicized. Mm. Before this podcast, I mentioned to you that apparently we've been saying the name of that famous children's book author, the one who made the cat in the hat. Yeah, Dr. Seuss. I recently found out it's pronounced Dr. Swice, 
Zeiss, Swice. I'm still probably saying it wrong. So many people said it a certain way. It just oh, caught on. It's stuck. Right. And now he's known as Dr. Seuss. Why don't anybody who uh, pronounces it one way or the other let us know? Re- reach us at info at volumetricformat.org. Let us know how you pronounce it. But yeah, maybe we'll see something similar with Gaussian versus Gaussian. <laughs> This new ratings field technique is a way to create higher quality volumetric captures. You would do it the same way you would create a nerf using a, a series of photos or taking a video of the scene. But what it's doing is filling in the spaces of that field with splats. Some people are referring to them as shards. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to create a more convincing representation of solid objects. You know, I think the ones that I really love that highlight this technique that you mentioned is anything that's thin. So the ones that I like are things like blades of grass, right? Or leaves. And and the way to think about it is just if you take your phone and you take a picture of, say, a pencil or even your finger, say you're six feet away, there's only so many pixels your your finger's going to take up. It's not a lot. So when you're doing a volumetric capture, you're about six feet away and you're going to take pictures of your fingers or blades of grass. There's not a lot of information that can be used because there's only so many pixels that make up that small thin object or part of the object. And this technique, like you said, fills in those gaps because we're just going to have gaps just the way RGB cameras work. So anything that has a lot of small detail, this technique really sharpens that. And bike spokes are another popular example, grass, anything that doesn't get a lot of pixel density, this will improve the quality. It does take a lot of training time compared to over what those who might be are uh, that are used to say instant NGP or Nerf that is using um, NVIDIA's hardware. But that payoff is there. And let's see how the, you know, we talked about the creative industry. We talked about the other sectors such as surveying, you know, landscapes and the, let's see how they adopt it. But it is very exciting going back to the way you know the, the the connect was launched we're in that era where in the next six months there may be an additional version of this and even though it is nascent the payoffs there and i think the entrance will continue to be there but it'll also grow and this ecosystem that the vfa is all about um is it, it is really going to be growing more and more industries more and more people and what the VFA um, is working on is we're about to announce a Nerf white paper that will continue to adapt and grow um, to include things like Gaussian, um, Splat, and whatever else is on the horizon. And I think this time next year, it's going to be a whole new world. Um, and in this era that we'll dub as 2.0, will really be in its uh, prime to go back to prime sense, if you will. Gaussian movement started around the time of SIGGRAPH. It seems to be a lot of interest in this and it's just going to get better. Maybe in two months, something else might come up, right? So, and that's just the power of the community and people putting their heads together to solve these problems. 
Eric, you mentioned that this really started to take us into the conversation of Gazi and around SIGGRAPH. The, the white paper was probably released about two or so months ahead of SIGGRAPH, but it, it was that event that really catalyzed it. And that's an excellent way to sort of stay on top of what's happening in the industry is definitely follow us at the VFA, join the VFA. But there is some really amazing events coming up to be part of the next wave, whatever it is, or even contribute to the existing one. So Eric, what do the folks have to look forward to for the remainder of the year? The big conference in September is IBC. That's going to be in Amsterdam. A lot of people consider it the uh, the NAB of Europe, or maybe NAB is the IBC of North America, <laughs> which should be very exciting. So there's IBC Amsterdam. So right after IBC, there's a virtual conference from Meta called Meta Connect that's happening September 27th through the 28th, two-day virtual event, and it's focusing on AI and of course, mixed and augmented reality. So that could be uh, another exciting one to check out. I'm sure there'll be a lot of announcements, especially with the uh, MetaQuest 3. And then there's the Immersive Global Summit in Orlando on October 17th through 19th. It's a two-day event. Very similar, just not meta-focused. It's going to be on all things uh, immersive. Looks like it's going to be a great agenda. There will be AWE, the European edition of AWE that will take place in Austria. So a lot of excitement there as well. And then the following month in November, back to Amsterdam, Unity Unite, that's happening November 15th to the 16th. And I'm really excited about that one because Unity just announced a beta program around AI, and that's everything from writing code using AI to 3D models from AI. And there is rumor that it may at some point include radiance-filled integrations. So there's there's a lot that could happen at that event. Very, very exciting. So Eric, I know we covered five events. Some of that may have been quick for our listeners. Where can they go to always be up to speed with all the events that are related to volumetric video? We keep track of all the upcoming events at volumetricformat.org forward slash events. So think of it as your one-stop shop to stay in the know of all things happening, all the exciting conferences and events happening on the horizon. So what amazing time. I think the rest of this year, it's just going to keep the momentum up. The ecosystem is getting bigger. We're going to be highlighting a lot of the new members in a very upcoming episode. Hopefully, we'll be highlighting your company. So if you haven't already, join the VFA by going to volumetricformat.org forward slash join. And I look forward to meeting you in the near future. This episode of Volumetric Roundtable is produced by Dejanuity Labs, brought to you by the Volumetric Format Association. If you are interested in joining the VFA, you can go to volumetricformat.org forward slash join. Here you can learn about all our different membership tiers. This global community works together to drive this technology forward through best practices, standards, and collaboration. We even have a community membership tier and it's free to join. So check out volumetricformat.org forward slash join for more info.